0: I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to begin by reading verses 3 through 10 in the New American Standard Bible. We're going to focus, Lord willing, on verses 6 through 10, but we want to begin by reading this text. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved minds and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we, brought, we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money... Is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now as you look in this context though we are focusing on verses six through ten, I want you to see some words that appear in three through five that reappear in verses six through ten. For example, the word godliness is used in verse 3, in verse 5, and in verse 6. In verse 3, we are told about those who do not agree with the words of the Lord Jesus which conform to godliness. In verse 5, the text tells us that these people suppose that godliness... Is a means of gain. And Paul takes their same words in verse 3 and 5, but uses them a little differently. They have said in verse 5 that godliness is gain. And he says godliness actually is a means of great gain. Not in the way that they are speaking. Not simply a financial gain. Using godliness as a pathway to make money. But godliness is a means of great gain. Of eternal rewards. And real good, great gain. So those key words are focal to the context. But in this particular text... There is a contrast between contentment and covetousness. Contentment and covetousness. Godliness is a means of great gain. If accompanied by contentment. We brought nothing into this world. And we cannot take anything out of it. We have food and covering. With these we shall be content. But those who long to be rich, long to get rich. The Bible tells us about the disasters they bring upon themselves. They fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men to ruin and destruction. Having food and clothing with these, he says, be content. Would these be content? They say godliness is gain. Godliness is a matter of great gain. If accompanied by contentment. We came into this world with nothing. We will leave with nothing. What we acquire in between when we were born and when we die, is not the essence of life. You remember that Job was described as the greatest of the men of the east in Job 1 and verse 3. His possessions are listed, his donkeys and camels and all the wealth that he possessed and his seven sons and three daughters. And you remember that Satan said, does Job fear you for nothing? You put a hedge about him and you won't allow anything to happen to him You let evil befall Him and He will curse you to your face. The Lord says He's in your hand. Do not take His life. And in quick succession, Job loses all of his wealth. As one messenger comes to him with a story of his loss of one particular possession, another messenger comes with another story of his loss of other goods and other riches until finally one delivers the most devastating blow of all. One servant comes and gives the news that his children were feasting in the house and the house collapsed and all of them were killed. How does he respond to the loss of all of his wealth and even the loss of his children? He shaved his head. He worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the book of Ecclesiastes, those same kind of words about how we come with nothing and leave with nothing are used as well. In Ecclesiastes 5.15, As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came, he will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. In this context, this is a statement about the futility and vanity of life. Whatever we acquire, whatever we gain, we're going to have to give back. We brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of it. In having food and covering, would these be content? The word for covering was used for clothing in the Greek language. It was also used for shelter, as in a house or structure, a place to dwell. This is not stating the limits of what Christians can possess. We may be given much more. And the attitude with which all is received is stated in First Timothy chapter 4. Verses one through five, where all that God has created is gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth and how it's received with gratitude. It's sanctified by prayer. but we are not old any of this. If we have food and covering, with these, we will be content, the text says. And that word content. Was used in that day and time often by Stoics to emphasize that you are not dependent upon outward circumstances. And it was used to describe self sufficiency. The Bible uses it not to teach self sufficiency, but Christ sufficiency. Let me give you another place where this word is used. Look in Philippians 4. Philippians 4. In verse 11, Paul said that I speak, not that I speak from want, Philippians 4.11, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. Not self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. Having food and shelter with these, be content. You don't have to raise your hand. If your sin was grievous enough, you may want to come forward later. But how many of you ate too much? The last few days. A policeman told me in Tampa a few years ago that Tampa was 25th in its homeless population. I would rate it up there near the top. I would a lot rather be homeless in the Tampa area than Indianapolis. Can you imagine what it would be like to live on the streets in 20, 30 degree weather? The fact that we have all these things is a reason, as was stated earlier, that our hearts need to be overflowing with thanksgiving. God has given us food. He has given us covering. He has given us shelter, a place to dwell. And God has given us beyond that. But some are not satisfied. Some are continuing to look for more. This is the story of our world. Our country is filled with millionaires who are bitter and angry. Really? What is it going to be? that would satisfy you. But what are we after? What are we longing for? Are we looking to be thankful? Looking to be content? Are we always on a quest for more? What are our priorities? This is one of the things this text forces us To face. And I particularly think the language is striking when you see verse 9 and 10 and a couple of words that I want to emphasize. Look in verse in verses nine and ten. We have seen one who is content, one who is thankful, one who is grateful for what God has blessed him with not making demands, but thankful for everything that they receive. That should be who we all are. But in verse 9, those who want to get rich, not not just those who are rich, you know, there apparently were some in this congregation that were well to do. Look at verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. There are apparently were some in that category in this congregation. It is not just having it that is rebuked, but those who want to get rich, those who want to get rich, fall into temptation. Now that particular word, want, has been used twice earlier in this epistle. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2.8, I want men in every place to pray. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. I won't. In chapter 5 verse 14, as Paul is giving instructions, he says, I want younger widows to get married. This word is used of Paul's describing his intent and God's intent to the believers. I want younger women to get married, bear children, guide the house. But, but here, here are people who are wanting what they are wanting is riches. They want to be rich, the text tells us. And they in verse 10, it says, a Love of money is a root of all sorts of evil which some by longing for it. And that word longing is the same word that's used in 1st Timothy 3 and verse 1 when the Bible says if a man aspires to the office of an overseer, he is longing for that office. He is longing to help God's people in 1st Timothy 3 in verse 1. But these people in 1st Timothy 6 verse 10 are longing To be rich. They are longing for this world's possessions. But I'll tell you another time that is very striking where this same word is used. In Hebrews 11, in verse 16, the Bible tells us, but as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly country. And I see on the board I put Hebrews 11, 6, that is a mistake. Hebrews 11, verse 16 Is the passage. They desire a better country. What are you desire? Where are your priorities? Are your priorities right here and right now in this world where we came naked and we will leave naked? Is that where your priorities are? Or your priorities is your desire a heavenly country? Is that what you're longing for? This chapter hits us strongly with priorities. Those who want to get rich, those who are longing for it, longing for wealth. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... Your heart will be also. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, in verses 5 and 6, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what will men do to me? Be free from the love of money, be content with what you have. We have a God who has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. As we live in the midst of our world, as we are met with our needs and the needs of others, as they press down upon us, may we always see Him. May we always see God as our greatest need. May He always be our deepest longing. May He be the one we long for. May He be the one that we want. May He be the one that we desire and our desire to be with Him eternally. Psalm 73 says it this way. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. My heart, my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's Psalm 73, verses 26 and 27. What is our path? Is our path God? Are we pursuing Him? Are we pursuing riches? Are we living by contentment? Are we living by covetousness? Are we living for this world? Are we preparing for the next? World. The Bible tells us in verse 6 that godliness is a means of great gain. Some were using their godliness as a means to make money in verses 3 through 5. But Paul says it is a means of real gain. And there is a wealth that is greater than material wealth laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. But as he contrasts that, and he contrasts that kind of that kind of greed or that kind of contentment with greed. He states the end result of wanting to get rich, the end result of longing for it, it will, it will result, first of all, in us falling into temptation. Jesus told us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil in Matthew 6 in verse 13. If we long for riches and if we want to get rich, that's going to lead us to the very place that we're begging God not to give, not to lead us to. Don't let us fall into temptation. If we want to get rich, we will fall into temptation. And it is going to be a snare. It is going to be a trap. Is going to catch us in the way. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3, in verse 7, uh verse 7, that an elder is not to be a new convert, lest he fall into the snare of the devil. Same word. And the Bible tells us if we want to get rich, we're going to be found. It's going to be a snare to us. It's going to bring many foolish and harmful desires, which will plunge us. Into ruin and destruction. Remember in Luke 5. In verse 7. When they caught so many fish. That the boat began to sink. You remember that? That word that's translated sink. There is the same word translated plunge. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse 9. If we want to get rich, if we are motivated simply by covetousness, if we are longing for it, it is going to drown us in ruin and destruction. And these words, ruin and destruction, sometimes translated interchangeably, but Jesus talked about the broad path that led to destruction. In Matthew 3 and in verse 17. And because of this, some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. And they pierced themselves with many pains. Sometimes in life we commit unforced errors. Sometimes we're in difficult situations. We're trying to answer difficult questions and we don't say everything particularly right or perfectly. But sometimes we just bring up mistakes and create them out of nothing. And to long to be rich and to want to get rich is to commit an unforced error where we are piercing ourselves. Now, Now, Much more in that text. But it always does well when we think about a text to illustrate it. To illustrate it fitly. And there are some powerful illustrations of both those who were seeking God with wealth and those who were destroyed by, by longing for it. The positive illustrations. We've already talked a little bit about Paul. Paul didn't come to a city making demands of the brethren. He doesn't come to a city. He comes to a city supported by someone that he preached at last. And he works with them seeking to convert more to Christ, content with whatever his circumstances, whether it be little or much. But one illustration that I think of is the illustration in Mark 12, which is also in Luke 21. Mark 12 of the woman who was a poor widow who has two small copper coins. Which together is still very small. It wouldn't have been closed like one sixty fourth of a denarius, which was the, the normal wage you got paid at the end of the day for working, the coin you got paid. And, and what she puts into the collection plate, it's difficult to give parallels between our culture and theirs in regard to money. But she may have put in the equivalent of quartering. Jesus calls attention to her and says she has put in out of her poverty all that she had. True giving is measured not just by what we give but by what we have left over for ourselves afterwards. This woman put in all She's a good example and one to emulate. But there are bad examples in Scripture. In Genesis 13, as there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot, Abram said, we are brothers and there doesn't need to be this kind of fighting among us. You go to the right and I'll go to the left. You choose. He lifted up his eyes. He saw the well-watered plain. And he chooses to go in that direction. But we're warned that the people were wicked and sinners exceedingly against the Lord. Lot becomes more and more entrenched in the events of the city of Sodom. And the Bible says in Luke 17, verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. And, and I have seen that in churches, um, in some churches i preached at, On the back, under the cloth. Remember Lot's wife. Like if you turn back and you look at what time it is, you become a pillar of salt. I think it's more than she simply looked back in a curiosity sense. Do you look at that context in Luke 17? The Bible is warning when judgment's coming, when destruction's coming, I think they're on the city of Jerusalem. Said, you don't go back to getting your possessions out. She, because of her possessions, and because maybe wanting to take them with her, maybe wanting to go back and remain, but somehow she lags behind the others and is caught up in the destruction of the city. Is it worth your life? Is it worth your soul? You know the story in Joshua six, where Israel marched around the city of Jericho on the seventh day, seven times, and they shout. And the walls fall flat, but God has given the instruction. You're not to take anything out of the city. It is to be devoted to me by destroying it. The silver and the gold they were put into the treasury of the Lord. But you're not to take anything for personal use. But there's a man, Achan, who hadn't listened to God. As a result, he brings disaster on Israel. Thirty-six men are killed as they go out to battle At the city of Ai. Joshua assembles the people. And he says, we have sinned against God. And they begin determining where the sin was among the people. And the lot falls on Achan. When the lot falls on Achan, Joshua says, my son, give glory to God. Give praise to Him. Tell what you have done. And Achan said, I have sinned against the Lord. And I saw a beautiful mantle from Shinar, I saw two hundred shekels of silver, I saw a bar of gold fifty shekels, I coveted them, I took them, I hid them in my tent. He goes, Joshua sends men to check, and everything is in the tent, just like Achan saved. And Achan and his family. And his livestock are stoned. And they are burned with fire. Some, by longing after it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. You remember Naaman's story. Naaman who dipped seven times in the Jordan to be clean. 2 Kings 5. He comes to Elisha and he says, I know there is no God in all the world except you. Please accept this gift. He said, no. Sends Naaman on his way hazy who is the servant of Elisha, says, My master was too easy on Elisha. My master was too easy on Naaman. Excuse me. He runs after Naaman. He said, There have just come to me a couple of sons of the prophets. We need some changes of garment. We need a talent of silver. Naaman gives him what he asked and more. Gehazi comes back, he puts it in his tent, kind of like Achan did. He puts this in his tent, he goes to Elisha. And Elisha said, um, well, what was he, Gehazi? He said, I didn't go anywhere. He said, didn't my heart see you when you went to this man? Because you have coveted this, you have taken this. The leprosy of of Naaman will cling to you and your descendants. The Bible tells us those who long to be rich fall into a snare and foolish and harmful desires which drown them in destruction and perdition. But maybe there is no better Biblical example: Judas. Judas was an apostle. Judas had seen Jesus do miracles. Jesus. Judas had heard Jesus teaching. Judas had enough respect in the group that he's the traitor. And he used to steal money that was put in the treasury. And he goes to the rulers and says, What will you give me to betray him to you? And they agree, for are 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. When he realizes that Jesus is condemned... That Jesus, will not, that Jesus will be crucified in this event. He comes, he throws down the money. He says, I have sinned, I have betrayed innocent blood. Now those who give themselves to covetousness, pierce themselves with many pains. He went out and took his own life. We are so blessed by God. May we have thankful hearts. And may our thankfulness result in giving to Him, giving to others. Making Him and His work a priority with all we have. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, you have richly bestowed upon us all that we have, all that we enjoy. Lord, if we took the time to mention every blessing, we could be here all day. And we would leave out many things when you provided for us, that you've given to us, that we've forgotten. Forgive us for thinking that we're owed. Help us to be grateful for every good thing we receive from you. Lord, you have provided us with food. You have provided us with covering. You have provided us with not little in these areas, but with abundance. We thank you. We praise you. And we pray that a desire for you and a desire to be with you eternally may motivate our hearts, may drive our lives. It may be what defines us. It may be what we want, what we desire, what we long for. We need your help. We ask your strength and your mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again. And you want to turn from your sins in repentance. And to be baptized in Him to have your sins washed away. We want to help you this morning. We want to help you to be right with God as we stand and as we sing.